you just setting up the podcast? Just gonna put them. Oh, come in. Who is it? Nathan. Oh, hey, Brandon. Hey, I'm gonna teach you how to wrestle. Dig on this. That's the theme song. That's it. That's it. That's that's what we should just do. Don't even don't even edit that. That's it. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Classic Movie Banter. Here hey we guys. are. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Classic Movie Banter. You We're know here that again. Podcast where me, that dude, Brenton, and that guy over there, Nathan. Hello. We talk about films that are 20 years or older. 20 years. Yes. And we tell you whether if, if they're worth still watching today or if they're worth snapping in half, you know, and then like putting in a parcel, right? Like a, like as if to post it. And then just like leave that sitting next to your like typewriter just for like a couple of weeks before it starts to smell. Sounds like a wonderful thing to do with a DVD, Brenton. What a wonderful occasion. Oh, how, how are you feeling after Valentine's Day? I tell you what, our listeners are loving their Valentine's Day stories with Withering Heights. <laughs> what a popular film that ended up being. Hey, who knew that that was going to be the one that took off? You know what I mean? People, do, people, people just want to imagine themselves on the moors and, you know, imagine that there's a castle there. And that they're in the arms of Sir Lawrence Olivier. You know what I <laughs> Jesus. Mean? Like, <laughs> oh, I was so glad we weren't alone with how we felt about that film, Brenton. <laughs> it was like, ah, oh, it was a nightmare. Uh, it wasn't a nightmare. It was a. It was a. It was an. It was an experience. Well, I'm glad we're, this week we're cleansing our palate, Brenton. We're finally here at the Coen Brothers after 91 fucking episodes. We're here. We finally get to talk about the Coen Brothers. We made it. And, you know, we're not talking about No Country for Old Men, obviously, because no. that's not 20 years. Uh, we're not talking about Fargo, you know. Yeah. We're talking about another film that was released in 1991. Yes. That's called Barton Fink. Barton by, Fink. Directed by Joel Coen. And written by Ethan Cohen and Joel Cohen. So, you know, here we go. Here, here we go. That's how the film opens, go. with the Cohen brothers walking up to the camera going, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Nathan, I've got a question for you, buddy. Yes. How are you? Oh, Brenton, I'm so glad you asked, you know. I'm just I'm just emotionally, you know, up and down right now after watching this movie. So I've got to deal with this, this, this thing I've gone through by pitching you this movie. Can you pitch me the movie? All right, Brenton. So, uh, have you ever experienced writer's block? Yes. Great. Are you experiencing it right now? Maybe. I don't want to reveal that information. (laughs) Well, then I'll let you sit over there while I'll pitch you this movie. So, it's the 1940s. World War II is is happening, you know? Bloody military World War II actions going on in Europe. Brenton, we're not going to be in Europe. Oh, awesome. So, this is a war... Oh, oh. We're, we're, we're avoiding the war. We're avoiding the oh. war in 1941, and instead oh. we're following Barton Fink. Um, have you seen Adam Driver be a playwright in Marriage Story and move to LA? I have seen that. I have seen that, actually. Well, guess yeah. what? So, too, does Barton Fink. He's a playwright in New York who also moves to LA. And oh. he's not a big fan of the change, but rather than have the baggage of a divorced Scarlett Johansson, he has instead writer's block, Brenton. Wow. Okay. Which one would you rather be stuck with? <laughs> and uh, he's 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 hired uh, by Capitol Pictures, this this Hollywood studio, to write a wrestling movie in Hollywood. But he can't quite seem to do it, Brendan. He's just bloody scratching his head, unable to write. So we, the audience, follow Barton Fink as he has this wonderful adventure around LA and meets these quirky characters as he try and finds the inspiration to write a wrestling movie. And maybe, maybe the film escalates and maybe it becomes a whole bunch of different things. But that's the general premise, is that he tries to write a wrestling movie. But Nathan, how hard is it to write a wrestling movie? I mean, why, why, is, he, why is he so focused on writing this wrestling film and, and why... Why can't he just write write down some random plot? I don't understand. I mean, obviously, if you've seen Rocky Five, it's extremely easy to write any sports movie, let, let alone wrestling. Could it be that he's wrestling with his own creativity? Brenton, <laughs> I'm going to just say it right at the top. I, I'm pitching this movie, and it's going to have a lot of themes and symbolism oh, and okay. messages and metaphors. It's going to have onomatopoeia. It's going to have alliteration. Other literary words. These are all going to be in the movie. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. It's about, you know, many things. It's a movie to unpack, Brenton, and this is the movie Barton Fink. Well, thanks for your pitch, Nathan. You're uh, welcome. <laughs> I'm not quite sure if that quite sells the film for me at the moment, just hearing that. But after watching yeah. it, 
I get that you can't talk about you know where this where this film goes. No, you know and you I mean? don't and you don't like and you're doing that for a good reason. Like the exactly. one of the best things about this movie is the surprising directions it goes in, and genuinely, the the more surprised you are, I think the better it is. Let's get into it. Let's let's rip get into it. And talk let's about get into it. I really like this movie. Is mm. what I'm going to start off by saying. I think it's great. In saying that, maybe there's some bias there because I'm a big Coen Brothers fan. But you know, I wouldn't say this is their best work. But it's very good. It's. I think it's actually quite excellent. I think this is one of the better films I've seen in a while, Brenton. Oh, in a while. In a wow. while. In a while. Maybe it's because we did, you know, Withering Heights. And actually, no, Priscilla was great. But like, maybe just Withering Heights. I want to get that taste out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. It's so good, though. It's so, so good. And I can understand why compared to the rest of the Fargo, uh, the rest of the Coen Brothers canon, maybe it's not as strong as the rest of it. But this feels like such a dense, delicious film that, like, I want to watch maybe three more times just to understand what the fuck is going on. (laughs) So let's talk from a technical standpoint. Let's talk about how good, and I'm just going to list some things off here. Let's just talk about the detailed, uh, fantastic production design. Oh, my God. Let's talk about... Now, here's some sets. (laughs) Let's talk about some performances from uh, everyone's favourite, John, the two Johns, you know what I mean? Oh, yes. Both our Johns are, are fantastic in this John film. John Turturro and John Goodman. You know, it's, it's wonderful. It's so, so good. You know what? We have a lot of actor reunions in this 1991 movie. We do. We, we do. do. We, do. we do. have the return from Monsters, Inc. of both Randall and Sully <laughs> with Steve Buscemi and John Goodman. And I'm sad that in 1991 we didn't get a Monsters, Inc. reference, but that's okay. That's all right. We also, more importantly, Brenton, we more importantly get a, re- a Spy Kids reunion <laughs> because we have Steve Buscemi and then we have um, one of the bosses who's like the plays the guys with the hands for heads. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, sorry. I, I, my mind didn't even go there, but you're totally, oh. you're totally right. The second Tony, I saw him, I'm like, oh, it's I, the Spy Kids guy. <laughs> no. Yeah. He, he's fantastic. Uh and I always I can't pronounce his last name, but it's Tony Shaloub, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Uh, he's a fantastic actor, and yeah, so there was a nice little Spy Kids. Uh, we got a Spy Kids reunion, which immediately gives the movie five stars. Yeah, well, now that you say that, uh, I'm changing my star count right now. <laughs> and it's it's. I think this is one of the most perfectly cast movies I think I've ever seen. Like everyone delivers. Everyone, even if you have like three lines, they deliver. Like. Just Judy Davis is in this movie and she's outstanding. She really is. But she's always outstanding. She's right from that era where she did um Husbands and Wives, that Woody Allen film. Yeah. It was like filmed around the same era. I love her in that movie. And so it's great seeing her in this as well. God, she's so good. I think this screenplay is really good as well. I it think, is. Um, I, I think it's only issue and the only, I guess, constructive criticism I have for this film, because as we know, Nathan, no film is perfect, no. is that I feel like sometimes it's a bit heavy handed with its themes, especially when it comes to uh, stifling yeah. creativity. And uh, and and I guess I guess I guess it, it's a bit heavy handed because the main character in this film, Barton, is uh, is heavy handed in the way when he goes on his long rants about art and about oh. You know, I think I think that's and... I think that's done deliberately though, because because of because Barton when he befriends Gon Judman, it's very like I'm from the high class and you're from the low class, and he's like, oh, but I'm not going to be pretentious about it. But then he ends up being quite pretentious about it. I I don't I never found that like droning, or I didn't find it like monotonous. Oh, I, it's not that I necessarily found it droning. It's just I I remember noting when I was viewing the film that I was like, this is a bit heavy. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. not the I I just thought with a lot of the themes, I was like I was like I've I've got it. I was. I was thinking a lot of the time. But <laughs> I know what the that, movie's about. It's like, well, that's the thing. I think the movie tells, makes you think you know what it's about, but then it does something very different. You're like, okay, wait, no, I've lost the plot again. Did you feel that? Yes and no. I mean, in terms of the plot, it does something very different, but mm. uh, thematically, it's still exploring the same ideas, but um, using another extreme. So yeah, my, my, my thing with it is that like, uh, like, yeah, I was surprised by the film. I'm not, and this isn't a huge criticism. Like overall, I'm, I'm very positive on this. I just think sometimes it was just a bit heavy handed with the way it would uh, handle subject matter. And yeah, that was probably mm. intentional as well. Like I said, because the titular character is the most heavy handed, blatant guy out there. You know what I mean? He's, he's, it's, it's, mm. an, it's actually an interesting, uh, performance from Don, T- uh, John Tichero because like, and very reserved as well. He's normally quite outlandish. Well, he goes from the two extremes, which is really cool. Like, so he's like mm. he's either very reserved and kind of uh, socially, let's say, awkward, 
And he, and then he goes to the other extreme of that he'll go on these long, like literally, like insane. It's like an insane person that only like John <laughs> Turturro could fully. There's pull a lot of insanity like, in this film. Ground in, in in reality when he when he goes on these long rants about his artistry and about mm. uh, the the common man. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then we have this lovely again, like John Goodman's just giving us major uh, Pacha vibes when he's like with oh, his character. <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh. That, that warm kind of soup. <laughs> there's one, there's one point where John Turturro just goes, A pacha, as he's explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the performances are great. Um, I think the cinematography is really good as well. There's yeah, because they hired the Roger Deakins for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is always uh, a plus. Good, like, everyone, everyone worked on this film. Everyone did. <laughs> my my thing with it is is as well, and again, like I'm being so positive about this. I, I love what this film's about. I mm. love that it kind of explores Hollywood. Uh, you know, not necessarily that it's like the most, I guess, faithful depiction of Hollywood, maybe of the time. It's more about the writer, and it's more about the writer's plight. Yeah. I guess. Although I feel like what the movie's trying to do is make a lot of the internal external. Yeah, of what's exactly. going on with the writer. So, so I don't think you should go and go, oh, this was Hollywood in the 40s. Because when I was watching it, I thought there was going to be a lot of Hail Caesar in this. Because it felt a little bit Hail Caesar where you meet the studio head and you're kind of going out to the different sections of Hollywood. Were you getting those vibes? I'm glad it wasn't, though. Like, uh, <clears throat> Yeah. I, I, I just think, I, just think I, I really, for me, I really kind of, I guess, could relate to this in a way that I'm not sure if other audience members would necessarily. You know what I mean? What What did it do to make it relatable to you? Well, I I like as as an artist, I was watching this and I was so I was. <laughs> Bridget in, like tosses back his hair as he says that, like as an artist. <laughs> well, y- you can you can relate to what what is being said. Yeah. And then what what I think it does well as well is that it provides the other point of view. Uh, it provides a few point of views, like one from the business point of view, from the studio head, from mm. John Goodman, who's just the man on the ground, and and uh, this idea of like just the just the picture being the picture as opposed to like something that's going to change the world. And Yeah. And, it's very sobering, isn't it? Yeah. But but at the same time, I can imagine and I think this is the point as well. I think this is intentional. There would be audience members for the first half, let's say, that would be going, is this literally a movie about a guy that has writer's block and is just trying to write a fucking movie? Like where's the action, as the producer says, where's mm. all this? And what I think is great about this film is that it then successfully subverts your expectations and when it becomes something more, that we kind of get those elements and that that Mm. I think that if you can get through the first half of this film and you're going, oh, I'm not sure if I'm relating to this or, oh, this is a bit boring. This is just about some guy that's trying to write a fucking story who's Mm. a bit pretentious. Why should I care? Just know that it'll get its it'll get its hooks in you at a certain point as as cuz yeah it it two thirds through this film it radically shifts in like in genre in tone in in action all of it like like as radical as you can do where it's almost a completely different movie yeah and I, and and I love that and I but I still love that at the same time it's it's still exploring the same ideas like mm. so like it's just like it just takes it to the extreme and it takes this character to an extreme circumstance as, you know, movies and, and stories should. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and I loved it. I loved that about it. And I loved where it went and I loved, and I loved, and I, I just loved the writing. I just like where, where this character went, where the other characters went, where we ended up, you know, I, I kind of want to watch this again. And I think that's the same compliment. I, I really want to watch this again, but to be honest with you, Brendan, I actually preferred the first half to the second half. Like, like before that shift, I felt like the movie was more nuanced with its themes and I thought it was more subdued. And I felt like when we had that big shift and the movie kind of changed, I thought it was, I thought it was more blunt and I thought it was, I, I thought it was being extreme for the sake of being extreme. I didn't think it was being as intelligent. Oh, I don't think so at all. I don't think it was being blunt for the sake of being blunt or extreme for the sake of being extreme. I think that's where it was always kind of heading. And maybe mm. it m- might've been jarring at first because and we'll talk about this in spoilers because of uh, circumstance and context. I, I, I just think that like the film needed that, you know, like yeah. it needed that it, it, it couldn't just keep going on the same path of what it was going uh, because I don't, was... I don't think I agree with you, Brenton. So what, what would you have rathered? <laughs> it's easy for a critic to say just not that. And, <laughs> but like in the sense that I thought we were getting something really like a quiet deconstruction on the artist. And then it just like ramps up and like, I don't know. I thought we were going to get more on the alcoholism side of the movie because there's a lot of alcoholism in there. I thought, you know what? For the first two thirds, I thought this would be better as a play. I thought this would have made a great play. But then in the last third, I'm like, okay, wait, no, you can't do this as a play. Like literally, it'd be impossible. But like, <laughs> but like I think, I don't know. It's It feels a little bit on the nose. 
the last third of it. Like, like the, I feel like the Coen brothers are going, like, stepping in front of the camera going, do you get it? <laughs> do you understand what these characters represent? <laughs> like, that's when I thought the film was, like, screaming at us compared to the first two thirds. I felt like it really, like, shifted to take us to places. And, like, there's a lot of payoffs I, I loved... Like with the imagery, like the woman in in the uh, in the in the frame, and like all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. It just I, I just wanted. I think I wanted it to be quieter. I think also because I was. You know what? Okay, here's my issue with it. I think in real life you can learn a lot of lessons from it, as far as like what to do with writer's block and you know how to get around it and you know exposure to real life and that kind of stuff. But at the end, it's so radically like absurdist and and extreme that i feel like i can't really learn anything from the last third like it doesn't really offer a thesis on this is how you deal with writer's book or this is how you overcome any of the deeper themes classism or or you know or the common man or all that kind of stuff uh like like my original point my original criticism was like that i think that the whole film is heavy-handed in a sense and and can be said that like you know it's very uh with its with its thematic elements and its imagery, it's it could be seen as very obvious. Which is kind of why I want to watch it again because I think there's mm. more in there. It's so rewatchable for me. I think the film was always going to go there. You know what I mean? I think the film was building. Uh, you wouldn't have predicted the, that it, whole though. first. No, you wouldn't have predicted specifically what was going to happen. But mm. you have to admit that there was some zany ass Coen Brothers bullshit in the first half that was being <laughs> set up. And the, yeah, like, even though you're saying like, yeah, maybe it was a bit more realistic and and nuanced. But at the same time, like, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, I I, I call it Coen Brothers bullshit in the sense of like <laughs> this. There's and and I and I love Coen Brothers bullshit. Same. But there's like I will eat their bullshit a- any day of the week. <laughs> There's a there's a lot of uh like you know there was there was there was uh, big Lebowski vibes you know with that studio mm. head and uh, yeah um, big time and, and, and I love him and he's so good he's so you know good I mean? oh. there's, there's these elements that are larger than life that are presented to us and and we kind of feel like we're building to something but we're not quite sure what you know with um with Judy Davis's character you know there's 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 a there's an exploration that happens there and when we kind of reveal some things about her um. Then the film again just changes radically and and uh, and and subverts your expectations in that mm. sense. But I was still satisfied with what we got from it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I didn't. I, I didn't finish the movie going like, oh no, if it wasn't for that last third, like you know, it wasn't a Game of Thrones season eight kind of moment. But like, I felt that. <laughs> <laughs> it, but I felt I, I like I loved it. I did love it. I'm just I felt quite accosted to it maybe that's the point of it i think also what, i think it is yeah yeah i think maybe that's it maybe i'm just literally shocked like in, in, because in, we could talk about this more in spoilers but i think it's integral i literally think it's integral to where we go with the character and and kind mm. of what the point it's trying to make i want to compliment sandwich this i want to i want to give this this movie a compliment i think one of the best things you can do to watch this movie is that afterwards read about it this feels like a film like designed for academics and film criticism and like you know like discourse and all that kind of stuff because it's it's not so packed with imagery that it's alienating and like you're it's like no. looking at like like a Monet and going what the fuck is this about like you you get it but like there's a lot of little shit that you can eventually unpack like I had like one of the, the fun the funnest I had with this movie actually was reading about it afterwards and be like oh like that's what yeah. that means like ooh. at the same time I think that this this film isn't something that's very like esoteric you know like i think like you can watch it and then can understand understand what happens you know what i mean like, yeah it's no tom like, hooper's cats is it oh 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 let's 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 not talk about that uh, <laughs> in the same conversation as this but hey any excuse for me to go on a cat's tangent you know no, what I mean? no Brenton, Look, i'm steering you right away let's, let's just say this there's a mosquito in this film okay that, yes that's that that is buzzing around but let's just say it's not tap dancing and it's not kind of humanoid CGI human face on it, no. uh, and Rebel Wilson isn't eating it. So instantly, I'm going to add. Speaking of which, speaking of which, uh, I'm going to add another star just for that exact reason. So just oh, fantastic! Don't mind me. I'm just going to draw it on. <laughs> Rightfully so. Go. But you know, speaking of the mosquito, do you know that while they were, they were while they were filming, the Coen brothers were actually contacted by an animal rights group who expressed concern about how the mosquitoes would be treated. I did read about this. I did read about this. <laughs> what? And can you imagine, like, getting getting ready to, you know, you're getting going into production, and you're like, oh, hey, we just, we just, we just got a letter here, boys. Uh, uh, don't mind that. I'll just leave it on your desk. Yeah. What? What could this possibly be? Uh, oh, <laughs> from the worried about the tre- tre- We love mosquitoes. We, we, they're they're worried about uh, the treatment of Frank the mosquito. Oh, which then got me thinking. You know, mm. what was happening on set to like 
uh, see to this mosquito's knees. I thought it just wasn't a real mosquito. I thought they just CGI'd it. Maybe it had its own trailer. Maybe it was oh real. Oh, my God. Like, Maybe it's it was like, literally the most deadly animal on the planet. You know what I mean? Like, it spreads oh, all the diseases. Literally. That like, wasn't literally. a joke. It literally is, yeah. It is literally the most deadly animal. I would rather, like, oh, jeez. Can I tell a quick story? You can tell a story. At, last year, uh, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but in my spare time, I I like to do some acting. I like to do oh, some yeah. creative shit. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, I like to we go. all get around and, the block, Brent. <laughs> so I was doing this job and we we're in rehearsal. And during the rehearsal, there was this huge motherfucking mosquito that was in the rehearsal Actually. room. Actually. And it just <laughs> yeah. wouldn't and it just wouldn't leave it. Like this thing was giant. It was like and it was like a thick mosquito. Like you oh, could geez. see it's you know like, like when thick you see with those two C's, ones, those, like Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. He'd, oh yeah. He'd, he'd been he'd been sipping the blood, you know what I mean? He'd, he'd, been he'd had a bit too much. <laughs> anyway, so this thing's kind of flying around and it's and it and it comes to this surface like around the table, and I just got uh there was an object. I think it was like a like a like a cup or something, like a plastic cup. And I just slammed this thing on top of the mosquito, and I killed it. And it did the thing where like the blood splurts out of like. All oh, right, yeah, was, you see the little explosion. Like, yeah, and it was like the little explosion happened. And it was on the table, and I was like, "Fuck yes, I got this thing!" Like it was because it was biting everyone. It was really annoying, and I viciously murdered this mosquito in front of everyone. One of the other actors then turned to me as if I'd literally just like committed genocide which i guess i had Jesus. But, <laughs> but, uh, but but saying that how dare i you know like kill this mosquito really they gave you shit for killing a mosquito to which we then had this huge conversation where we had to convince this said person that these were like the most deadliest things on the planet you know what i mean and, and how much damage they've done oh. to the human race you know what i mean like Brendan, I don't. Brendan, on this podcast, we don't normally take political stands. We normally try to avoid it. But I, I'm confident saying, <laughs> but I'm confident saying we do not endorse mosquitoes, just in general. Hey, I don't. I'm, and also, I'm very. My other point was, I'm extremely allergic to mosquitoes. If I get bitten really? by one of these things, yeah. If I get I bitten by that. one of these things, like these huge welts pop up on my fucking skin that stay there for like days. Really? And it's like, yeah, it's it's a thing. Ah. Like. I, I, yeah. Well, now I know how to bore you into doing something, Brenton. <laughs> We're going to have a cage of them at the ready to go. I, I'd already been bitten, like, in this rehearsal, like, behind my knee. <laughs> you fall to the floor and have, a, have like, a seizure. <laughs> it's like, she's like, keep them alive. Not quite. It was, I was feeling it, though. I was breaking out in sweats and I was like, oh, fuck. And this huge welt was popping up in that, like, Ew. in that fold, like, behind my knee. You know, that, that area, like, you know, where it's all kind of, you know, it's that gross kind of area where there's a bend in the leg and there's this huge fucking mosquito disgusting welt coming up and I'm like, Ooh. holy fuck, this is a lot. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I killed that thing and I was glad I did it. Good riddance. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> holy shit. Uh, that was the story of Brenton killing a mosquito. Oh, what a what a tale! What, what a, tale. a tale! Hey, maybe 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 Barton should have written that story. Jeez, Brad, do you want to write this thing? I mean, I guess that's what we're here to do. I guess <laughs> it's it's our job somewhat. Maybe you're fond of me lobster, ain't you? So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I think it's great. I'm excited to watch it again. Um, like I said, I don't know where it stands in my kind of Cohen Brothers rankings. I guess, mm. but uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know where it is. Uh, I just really enjoyed it. I really dug yeah. this film. I liked what it was about. I think technically it's really well done. A lot of great people worked on this. It's worth seeing, I think. So, uh, uh, like I said, if if you can get through that first hour, like, again, there's enough... But it's not a slag. The first hour isn't, like... It's not a struggle. <laughs> I agree it's not a struggle, but I can imagine that... I, I, just, I just know that there would be people out there that would be like, why the fuck are we watching this this kind of guy go about writing this script. But I think it builds empathy. Like, if you can sit through Birdman, you can sit through this. But I know, but I know that there's people that can't sit through Birdman. You <gasps> know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. So my point is, if, 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 if there's nothing... If there's not enough there to pull you in, which I think there is, I think there's enough mm. little zany pulls, and the side characters are so brilliant, and and the world is so well established, world is so well established that you kind of want to go into it and see what this is about and where it could go. Uh, just wait. Just please, just stick with you it. You just wait. <laughs> and uh, have a good time. That's what I'll say. Yeah. I don't so know. So my thumbs are up. My thumbs are up. This would be a very interesting this. movie to put on a Thursday night. You know what I mean? Like, imagine you come home from work and this is the movie that you watch. Like, I don't think it would unwind you from work. I think it'd just get you wound back up, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, no. Now I'm a playwright. I don't know. Would I recommend this to people? 
I think it's really extraordinary, and I think it's worth like it's like when we, it's, I feel I feel like a lot of lighthouse parallels in the same way that I I love rewatching lighthouse. I want to rewatch this a lot, like with Barton. I feel there's a lot to unpack, and like the more I watch it, the more shit I'll find. So yeah, I'd say give it a watch. This I don't think it's that pretentious that it would alienate the general viewer. But like, I don't think this should be your first Coen Brothers film. I think you should do a feeler. Oh, watch Fargo. Yeah, watch Fargo watch first. Film, Always watch, watch, Fargo, watch Fargo, first. Fargo first. Yeah, if you can do Fargo, you can do this, which also has a great Steve Buscemi performance. Is he in it? In Fargo? Of yeah. course he is. Yes, he is. That's right. He's one of the criminals. Oh, I love that movie. That's that's the reason we're doing this one instead of Fargo. Oh, it's so good. Oh, you betcha. And great TV series as well. I haven't seen the series, unfortunately. What? But, uh, you haven't? It's one of the best. I hear, I hear that first season is a, is a, is a wild time. All th- all of them. Even the Chris Rock. All of it. It's all good, Brenton. You got to watch Wait, all Chris of it. Chris Rock is in it? Yeah, in the latest season. Holy they shit. They got Chris right. Rock to do a Fargo season. What's that season for? Yeah. Cool. Mate. Get on it. Get around. It's all on Netflix. Just bloody give it a watch. Is it on Netflix? It's on is Netflix. It really? Yeah. They good, don't make it, but they Lord. distribute it here in Australia. Wow. Okay. Give I'm, it a watch. Oh I'm my in. god, Martin Freeman in that first season. But even like Kirsten Dunst, the Spider-Man Raimi trilogy's own Kirsten Dunst is in season two, and she fucking nails it. And Jesse Plemons is in that second season as well. And Jesse Plemons is in it. And you know what? So they filmed season two of Fargo, Kirsten and Jesse, and then they met on set and ended up marrying and having children in real life. Are they married? They're married. Good goodness me. With children, no less. Nathan, I reckon you should start a new podcast where you talk about uh, celebrity couples oh, and Jesus. like Hollywood news. That's no. Reckon, I reckon you'd be wonderful, you know, and I'd just be the guy that would kind of like, <laughs> you, you'd tell all this shit to me and I'd be like, is that really happening? Is that, do they have kitties? Yeah. Oh. I'd be like, they're married, Brenton. You'll be like, no way. You know what? Fargo was a big like love cess because in the third season, this is not good news though. In the third season, it's got Ewan McGregor and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And they also met on the third season of Fargo, but Ewan McGregor was married and then he had an affair with Mary Elizabeth and then he divorced his wife of 20 years and now he's with Mary Elizabeth Winstead instead. Hey, when there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so I really hope that Chris Rock keeps his shit together for season four. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Hey man, is it? What happened with Billy Bob and uh, Martin Freeman then? Was there any? Was there I mean, any they're married there? now too, but we don't talk about it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, it's yeah, like a low key, yeah. like, will they, won't they kind of relationship, but like, but like, we know they are. Okay, good to know. I thought so. I, you know, I was really thinking that, but I'm glad you confirmed it, Nathan. It's so good. Fuck it, so I could spend a whole episode talking about Fargo the TV series. It's so good, but I won't. Yeah. So your thumbs are up for Fargo the series. Are your thumbs up for Button? Mate, my thumbs are so up for Button. The more I think about this movie, the more I love it. It, it, but also in saying that, it is a film that really tickles me. You know, it's about, you know, it's like, it's about a writer dealing with the creative process. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's quirky. It's got some zany side characters all and like wonderful introductions. Like it's, it's, it's a perfect cup of tea for me personally. So there's a little bit of bias, but. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm glad, I'm glad that this is for you. You know what I mean? I'm glad yeah. that. <laughs> Fuck I, the I other listeners. It's just for me. <laughs> when, when. When you when you said that this film tickled you, I just had the image in my head of John Turturro, like you know, doing like this little piggy on your on your toes, <laughs> like and and you're sitting there like giggling away as the fucking house burns down. Speaking of which, let's get into spoilers. Oh yeah, spoilers. Here we go. You spoiled it. What the movie? Oh, Britain. What the fuck is this movie? <laughs> okay, so let's let's get straight to it. Let's get yeah. Let's get to the big thing. Like, jeez, the scene where John Turturro. And Judy Davis, you know, he wakes up. They've just had a, you know, it's na 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 na. Doom. Oh, like it's, it's like, so weird that they have like sex and it pans to a drain. Like, why does it, it do that? Oh, oh gosh. Like, of of course they were going to have sex. Like, yeah, I'm not. I'm happy with the sex, right? And I'm always happy with the sex. But why does it pan to like a drain in a sink when they have sex? I don't know. I thought it was a good shot. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. It's just Brenton like sitting with his arms crossed at the couch going, I think that's a good shot there. <laughs> that's literally what happened. Didn't you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and it's great. And like he wakes up and he, there's the fucking mosquito buzzing about. What a good fulfilling shot there when he finally swats it. Oh my goodness. When he swats it though. Oh. And, and, and he slaps the shit out of her and it explodes on her. Yeah, and, and she doesn't you're react, like, and you're like, wait a minute. And you're like, what the fuck? And then it's just like the blood just starts oozing out from under her, and you're like, what the fuck? And then, you know, at first, like, you could you could be mistaken in thinking this is like a dream sequence or something. I was thinking that for a, a while. Sequence. Like, for, the, for a 10 minutes after this, I was, like, I was thinking, when is he going to wake up? Uh, but I'm... but. Thank God it's not. I fucking hate dream sequences like, like this. Same. Things. I was annoyed, I, actually. I thought if it was going to be a dream sequence, that'd be really lazy. 
Yeah. It, it, if it was like... Have you seen After Earth? No. Why the fuck would I watch After Earth, Brenton? Well, we're going to we're gonna sit down and watch it because it's a fun time. No, we're not. Uh, also, it's like in yeah, 2013, so we got years before we have to talk about that. Hey, we're going to sit down and watch it and have a fun time. No, I'm we're not. You. We talk about classic movies, Brenton. Who the fuck says After Earth is a classic film? No one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, but my point is, is that there's this bullshit fucking dream sequence in that oh, film, my go. friend. And it involves uh, the main character, Jaden Smith, his deceased sis- sister... And, uh, is that played by Willow? He keeps... No, I, I don't, I don't know. Oh, not. missed opportunity. Uh, and and she keeps like appearing to him in visions throughout the film. Anyway, oh. there's a point there. I think he's on a raft or something, and he's going down this river, and he's having this dream. And there's this thing with <laughs> there's this thing with the sister is that I think before she died, she was reading uh oh fuck, what's that book called? Um, the one with the whale. Oh, maybe kill the whale. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so. So during the film, uh, before she dies, she's reading Moby Dick. Right. <laughs> and for some also, reason, spoilers all... for After Earth if you care. Yeah, no one gives a fuck. Like, watch <laughs> yeah. it. It's 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 fun. Uh, but during the film, like you know, in terms of the themes, they're always talking about Moby Dick okay. in this movie for some reason. And it's never like speaking of themes that don't make sense in films, like <laughs> Moby Dick's just always talked about. And it's like it's like oh, M Night yeah. is like trying to be really smart, but like he hasn't. He's just throwing it in there. To try and look smart. Anyway, she's reading. So Jaden starts spouting off bits from Moby Dick. I'm pretty sure. And then she's all like, "Wake up, wake up, wake up, Jaden Smith, wake up!" And then he's like, he just keeps talking like Moby Dick lines louder. And then eventually, it does this horrible jump cut with this like horrible sound effect. Like you know the jump scare sound effect, like that dun, like that oh, bullshit yeah. sound effect that they'll add to like things in movies to make it. Like, Which a I hate. Scare. It's still number one on my movie traumas list. <laughs> It's, it's terrible. So it goes, dun, cuts to her, and it cuts to her, like, mangled face, obviously, like, after, sh- like, of her deceased body, like, and she's like, wake up, and then he wakes up, and it's, like, the funniest thing I've ever seen. Oh like, it's, it's, it's hilarious. And it's so, like, in this movie, were you waiting for, like, John Turturro to be woken up in the exact same way? Well, I was, I was hoping that wasn't going to happen, mm. that Judy Davis wasn't going to go, dun, wake up, and then he was going to go, oh, <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> It's so true. Like, but I was I was waiting for a while to think when is he gonna wake up because I was convinced it was a dream sequence. And then no, when when yeah. like he gets John Goodman because also here's the thing John Goodman leaves and he's like oh I'm gonna go to New York. But then when Barton Fink needs help John Goodman is in his apartment. So I thought oh this must be a dream because John Goodman can't be back already. But then well no he says he's going in a few days. So I I ah oh, I thought, okay because this this film takes place over a week. You know what I Which mean? Which is so crazy. Like, yeah. Uh, so I was I that made sense to me. In fact, the only time I thought it was a dream sequence was initially when you see the body, and then I was like, "No, this is happening. This has got to be mm. happening." Like if it, and if it's not happening, I'll be very disappointed. But back up five steps. How did Judy Davis actually die? Like so. So did John Goodman kill her? Because that's the implication, isn't it? That's like what is kind of yeah, John. Yeah, yeah, he, for sure. He but like, her. but yeah. how? Like, did they just because they didn't get drunk well, or anything like that? Like, did he just like sneak in the middle of the night and just like stab her or like? Like how would John Turturro next to her in bed not notice her being killed? Well, I think during this film, there's a lot of... Uh, you'll notice with John Turturro that his sleeping patterns are very irregular. Oh, and and okay. Like, it's very well set up in the film that I think that, like, he's, like, pretty fucked in the head when he's, like, asleep and he and, he, and he'll fall asleep and he'll be going to sleep. And, and it's it's like he has a sleeping disorder or something in this film. It's like... So, so that's kind of established. But the other thing that's established a lot is that John Goodman knows everything that's going on in all the rooms in the hotel. Yeah, that's right. He's you a little know, bit mythical hear- like that, isn't he? He's a little bit like the god of the hotel. And John Turturro is 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 us, the common man, and their relationship to God. Well, I just think it's very telling that like he knows what's going on, and he says he can hear through the pipes. Uh, I think it's very easy for him to to make this happen. <laughs> he hears through the pipes like the fucking basilisk, just like slithering about. <laughs> exactly. I had the same thought in my head just then as well as I said that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, John, I think John Goodman's like hissing outside the front door. Like. What was interesting though was the fact that the the detectives said that who are great John by the Goodman's, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The John Goodman uh, as a serial killer shock uses a shotgun to kill his his uh, his victims. Yeah, and then and he wouldn't uh, have used that in the bed. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I think I think he's like. I think he's, it's been a bit of a stabbing that's happened there, mm. and then he takes a body away and decapitates her. Obviously, jeez. Uh, 
Great setup as well. How how like how he like you hear this story about how he decapitates victims and then like the camera pans to like the package and you're like, oh no. <laughs> well, this is the thing. What's in the box? Uh, yeah, as, I was thinking that. Think- I was thinking about seven as well. Like, what's yeah. in the box? <laughs> but do you think her head is in that box? Like, what is in the box? I mean, it has to be her head, doesn't it? I mean, what else would it be? Well, he, he comes back at the end. and He says, just letting you know, I did lie that uh, that I said that this was mine and it's not. Well, obviously the head doesn't belong to him. It belongs to Judy Davis. My point is, is that like, what do we think that the head is in the box? It has to be. Like, I just can't think of anything else it would be. He's not going to open it up and suddenly it's like another screenplay or something. (laughs) Like, if it is the head, it's pretty fucked up in the sense not only there's a decapitated head in the past. Oh, she'd be able to smell it from that point. But go on. But the dialogue, but also like, like a bloody head in a thing is going to like fucking start leaking in like, you know, as it like, I love it when John Turturro shakes the block, the box as well. Bless. (laughs) Like a Christmas present. Like, Ooh, what's in this one? But, uh, but if, if it is her head, it makes it all the more fucked up when he says like, Oh, use this as a lucky charm. Like, yeah, you know, geez, it's like, oh, like, hopefully this will bring you fortune in writing that screenplay. Oh, I love it's it's very fucked up. And like, it's I don't know. See, that's when I was like, this is a bit much when like the detectives are like standing outside the hallway and like John Goodman rocks up and the hotel's on fire. But like, it's a very coordinated fire. Like he walks down the hall as the flames kind of travel with him. It's like, is he the devil? I was like, I was like, is, it, is he meant? And he's like, hail Hitler and all that kind of shit. Like, is he meant to be like the personification of the Hitler? Hitler of, um- what is this film saying about fascism? That's a good point, because at one point he makes an anti-Semitic remark. He's like, oh, you're a Jew. <laughs> and Jokerman's like, yeah, what of it? And Jokerman's like, oh. And they just kind of walks off. I don't know, because it happens, it takes place during World War Two, And like, there's one point where the film boss, for some reason, suddenly gets enlisted. <laughs> He's wearing like a colonel uniform. But like, mm. but like half of the badges are awkwardly dangling off his costume, because they're not pinned down correctly. <laughs> like... What yeah. do you think this film says about fascism? It's it's probably the theme in the film that I I'm 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 the most unsure about. Uh, mm. Obviously, there's Jewish characters in this film. You know, we're we're, we're expro- we start on Broadway. <laughs> you know what I mean? We start yeah. we start we start on Broadway. We go to the film. We go to the film industry. We go to Hollywood. Mm. Uh, and and that that Hall Hitler line, as well as that. Um, I, I think I think that that is an element to this film that I haven't quite unpacked yet as to what it's trying to say. Uh, what one of my favorite kind of monologues in the film actually is is kind of when John Goodman uh goes it's it's I think it's like probably the best piece of acting in the film uh is when John Goodman starts talking about how it doesn't come from a place of hate that he like he does empathize with people that he is like the common man that he does kind of understand with people and it's like it's that illusion oh, yeah. that he's like setting people yeah. free it's in my trying to not sound pretentious but in the same way he never listens to John Goodman. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and like then John Goodman tries, then, as the common man tries to talk, but then John Turturro yeah. keeps like saying, "Oh no, I know how you think." It's like it's and then, perfect. Oh, and 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 it links back to that thing of like, "This is my house. You came in and you told me to fucking. You complained that I was being too noisy." Yeah, you know? <laughs> and then and then and then John Turturro apologizes and he's like, "Hey man, it's all good. It's, it's all, all good. good." Yeah, and then they have a little yeah. bit of a wrestle. Do you like the wrestle? <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy the wrestle. It was I a good scene. I, it was yeah. a great scene. Actually, I wonder what one of my... F- it was even better when it was referenced later on and the te- detectives were like, oh, oh yeah. fuck, is there some sexual... Is there, Was there like some sexual thing between you two? And he's like, no, we just wrestled. And he says it really aggressively. <laughs> like, dear God, you sick pervert. <laughs> like, it's so good. And also, they're the most stereotypical LA, like, LA detectives. Like, oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. Yeah. They're like... The, like I, I kind of wish they had, um, they had uh, Jack Nicholson from Chinatown as a detective instead. And he, like, he walks in with his little nose bandage. <laughs> and he's like, what's going on here, bucko? <laughs> or even Clint Eastwood yeah. from uh, Dirty Harry would have been great as well. Clint Eastwood versus John Goodman. Now, that's a fight I would have loved to see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's great. One of my favorite scenes in this movie, actually, was the introduction to Judy Davis and like the other writer, who characters I loved. Because like John Goodman like goes to visit the thing, goes to visit their home, and she opens the door. And it's the most hilarious like screaming in the background I think I've ever heard in a movie. Yeah, when John Turturro rocks up and 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 yeah, and you just hear the, the He's like, Where is my honey? <laughs> my <laughs> like, honey, yeah. Oh, he's screaming in the background and Judy Davis. She's, she's acting perfectly. She's like, Look, it's just just a little bit tumultuous right now. You just maybe we can meet up later. <laughs> oh, it was interesting that she was like a ghost writer as well. Yeah, I love that. that yeah, great, great. Uh, I really like that was mentioned. You know, because there's a lot of yeah. those women in Hollywood like that. Sadly, totally. Yeah, and uh, and then it it went uh, as far back as the novels. You know, it wasn't just the 
it wasn't because it, it, it's implied. I think at first you you think you understand this person, and it's mm. always said you know you don't understand this, and and it's like well, and you as an audience like you. It's it. The film does this really well. It it puts you in the head of John Turturro in the sense of like, well, I do understand him. He's this writer that's like we've just had this setup of John Turturro, uh, Barton Fink coming to Hollywood, and it's kind of broken him and his creative spirit in mm. a way. And that's what happened to this guy. Which is by and the he, way, what was, the rock means. I read up later on. Well, you know how the waves crash against that rock a couple times. Yeah, the Coen brothers said that was a metaphor for like John Turturro being the rock and Hollywood being the wave. Right. Okay. Well, it, it it's that idea I think that you want you think you understand where this drunkard uh, writer is coming from mm. and why he is the way he is and why and it doesn't excuse the behavior obviously like mm. Button even says that but uh, it, you you think you empathize and understand that concept but when you find out that she actually wrote the novels as well yeah it changes like your whole perception of this guy and who the fuck he is and so like Button's Button's granted like very dramatic like reaction to that news. yeah he's like what. <laughs> It's kind of warranted it in a way because it's like he's so disappointed. I think the whole film's just him being so disappointed with Hollywood and all that, like, or even disappointed that he's a writer because he's got that theory. He says at one point, like, "Oh, maybe I've just told my one story. Maybe I'll, I'll never write again." Like, maybe he isn't a writer. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, what- that's exactly it. Which also I think a lot of writers feel when they write. Yeah. they're like, "What the fuck am I doing?" Also, not just writers, but all creatives. They're like, "What the fuck am I doing?" Like, because I don't know. It's that idea I think of like when I think of someone like Stephen King who writes however many fucking words he writes a day. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's his thing. He writes, uh, you know, and and then you, it's like that conversation they, they did, they filmed with him, with Stephen King and George R.R. R. Martin. And George R.R. R. Martin's like, I totally love that interview. That. That's a good interview. And, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and, and his process is so, he talks about his gardening process and how he yeah. like. I yeah, love it because yeah, like, 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 George R.R. R. Martin's just like, how the fuck do you do it? Like you can see that he's like yeah. visibly upset because he's like, I'm taking like t- 10 years to write one fucking book. And, like, Stephen King's like, ah, stop it. But I think all <laughs> artists go through this thing of, like, you know, if if you're not in a film, if you're not uh, if you're not working on, on your next fucking masterpiece on the canvas and it's not done yet and you've, like, started it three times more, it's like, are you really a writer? Are you really this? Or, like, is that just part of the process? Or is mm. it part of the process? Like, you know, what what is... Yeah, that what that is, was yeah. kind of an interesting yeah. idea that was explored. And this film and kind so of like explores it. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I like that. Like with that, with that established novelist, that like we find out that she's actually written it. That this is just some fucking hack. That he's probably that's the reason he drinks is that he's so unsatisfied with like with 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 his kind of lot in life and disgusted with himself. To be honest, and I also think that's not exclusive to Judy Davis. I think a lot of the characters no. in these movies are hacks. In this movie, are yeah. hacks like like you can see the Hollywood bosses. Like I love that he doesn't read the scripts and he has them read to him. You know what I mean? And like, yep. and like, especially when he confronts John Turturro for not writing and he ends up firing his assistant and like kissing John Turturro's feet. Yeah. Yeah. Great then, scene. What's great about that scene is, is that the scene at the end of the film, it's like the second last scene mm. where the script is Perfect ending. And, Perfect yeah, ending. Yeah. And, 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 and he gets basically blackmailed into staying with the company. And, it's perfect. And, and you notice that I think it's Louis that is the character's name. That's the guy that got the fired assistant. in that scene. Yeah, is is uh he's back. Is still there, Lou. Yeah, Lou. Lou. Yeah, is 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 still there, and it was never fired. I and thought that was it, genius. I like that he. I love. Uh, I love that he doesn't love the scripts, but what I loved even more. And I think what's a bigger slap into the face. What's I think what the bigger slap to the face to Barton is is when he says there are twenty other Barton Finks that he has that can yeah. write a Barton Fink script. And I think like, as yeah. a writer, that would just dig such a knife into him not the fact that like the Boston like it but just the fact that he's just another conk in the Hollywood machine and that also when you go through that industry you realize there are a lot of other yous you know what I mean yeah especially because totally. have you have you gone through this spread where you've been in the audition room and you've seen a lot of other actors who just look very similar to you or something like that absolutely yeah every casting you go for is it's bizarre because there's a bunch of people that kind of look very similar to you yeah and and, and you're like, mm, am I that special snowflake? <laughs> like, but at the end of the day, like, you know, that's that's what it is. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that's like, the business. As, and you see John Tatua grappling with the business. Yeah, and it's kind of life in a sense as well. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. No one, th- there is an element to everyone that is that is, that is is similar. Or there's people out there that are very similar to you. Mm. And and to think that, and and this is totally an artist artistry thing you know what i mean it's totally yeah, like this a is a film thing. for people, artists big time yeah like yeah. like i think i think creatives put do that uh, do that thing where they they try to their way of like living life and like having to like live live the life of of 
of hard work, discipline, you know, creating all the time and trying to make a living from that is that mm. you have to believe that you're special and that you're like here to like influence yeah. or like, you know what I mean? And when, and when you find out that the reality of the situation is, is that like, you know, business exists, uh, people exist, people are consumers and, and they, 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 at the end of the day, whilst, you know, I'm not saying that art isn't important because it, it is integral to society and stories have been told for like... As Brenton's saying this, imagine like an American flag waving behind him and, you know, he's at the podium. <laughs> but it's only one uh, one element that makes up humanity, you know what I mean? It's, it's not the overriding thing that's... It, it has the potential to change people and to influence people and to teach people, but... But there the is that the day, dark underbelly to it and and this movie yeah, is like it. John Turturro kind of realising that. And I think as well, all those themes you just discussed, I think are perfectly summated in the final lines of the movie yes, with the thesis. Agreed. That's the like the movie's like, here's our thesis agreed. when he finally meets the woman in the picture, which is genius. Because at first I didn't recognise her. I'm like, oh, she's really pretty. And then she sits down and you're like, oh, wait a minute. And then he asks her, are you in pictures? And then she replies, don't be silly. I think that's so perfect about like her, like saying, oh, are you in Hollywood? And she's like, no, don't be silly. Yeah. Don't be in Hollywood. Like yeah. it's, 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 it now such a good ending. It's one of the better endings I've seen in a while. I also, I also love the last line of like how she says, uh, is, is it, she asks, I think, is that yours? Is in like, is in like, what's in, what's in the what's in the box oh yeah uh or or, uh or whose is that i think it is um mm. and he basically just says that like he doesn't know you know he exactly know. yeah yeah and it's great it's so and, it, and, he, and he's just stuck now on that runt he's been blackmailed he, you can see he's there for ages and he's just and yeah. he's succumbed to the madness it feels a little bit like it feels a little bit like 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 lovecraft in like succumbing to like the madness you know like, do you think do you think he does succumb to it in the end i don't think he has a choice i think hollywood molds him i think he's now in this this hell you know what this could be purgatory this whole movie could just be john Turturro going to purgatory i agree to a certain extent but i also think it's uh it's freeing in a sense that he realizes that his own experience and his own views that he is you know that he is kind of this liberal common man understand voice for the people that maybe you know he isn't that that maybe he is a bit uh maybe maybe that in itself thinking that you are that is uh is a bit elitist and he ends ends up and he ends up damaging the common the only people in the movie who aren't common are are the off-screen characters of his parents and his family who end up being the ones who suffer the most because he sends john goodman to them so yep. he just he damages the common man the, in this movie. Does that do, do you think the family's murdered? I mean, that's what John Goodman kind of hints, isn't it? Like also because he calls like, and they don't pick yeah, up. Yeah, no, he calls and he can't he can't reach them. Yeah, I think they're dead. I think it's safe to say they're dead. At the very least, you know, the <laughs> he opens the package and he's like, "Mum, is it? Do you th- maybe? I I don't know. I, I I haven't quite made up my mind about that. But it, it, to me, it could be interesting as well if they're not dead and mm. it's simply a factor of you know. Because he, he just says that, like, oh, there's they're my family, you know. There's, he never contacts them before then. Mm. He never really talks about them apart from that one. Yeah, it's quite true. He's quite distant, yeah. But I do love it when he recommends the home-cooked meal. He's like, oh, if you want a good feed, <laughs> here's the rents. Like, uh. But, like, maybe he's so far removed from them that, like, they no longer talk. You know, it could yeah. Be he thinks he's so the common man, he no longer needs to interact with the common man. But you see, he's more yeah. detached than ever. Yeah, exactly. Like I think, I think, I think it's it's a great character. It it's, it it's, is so good. It's so right yeah. for discussion, Brenton. Which is why yeah. I want to take us into some fan theories. Special segment. Ooh, so special, Brenton. I found some fan theories I want to share with you today about Barton Fink. Oh, beautiful, Nathan. Because oh beautiful. boy, oh boy, <laughs> is it is it right for them? I've got three of them, Brenton. So the first one, Brenton. Barton Fink actually can't write. Like, he literally can't write. That's the first fan theory I found. So he isn't a creative um, person. And I got all these from Reddit. The reason he's not a creative person is because the wrestling movie he writes has the first has the same first and last lines as the play that he writes at the start of the film. And he also named all the characters in his play after his family members, if you pay attention to the names said at the start of the film. Wow. Yeah. Right. So also, because he has a Bible on his desk... That's why the opening line of the movie that he writes is the Bible. So he literally just... So in the same way that Judy Davis offers to be a hack for him, he literally cannot write. That's an interesting idea. Do you think Do you think at one point John Turturro was as creative? Because remember, he even dismisses the good reviews at the start of the movie, saying like, like, he, like he almost doesn't earn them. So maybe it's because he quite literally did not earn them, Brenton. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I think it's interesting of a fact of like maybe he's not a writer, like I said before. Mm. 
and uh, this is kind of instead t- he's a lover. Yeah, yeah. Like who who knows? <laughs> like who like he he just seems like a lost he a lost puppy. You know what I mean? Like he he, does. he's someone that's so that's so sure of himself, but it, but at the end of the day, there's so much um insecurity there, and um maybe maybe it is lack of creativity or literal lack of um. But maybe he's got like no no skills in terms of like, <laughs> he's got literally like no skills like <laughs> yeah like he's he's just he's just when it comes to writing I mean like yeah. he's, he's he goes up to Steve Buscemi he's like maybe I'll shine shoes instead <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, the second fan theory I found was that the that was that going from Judy Davis being murdered that that entire section onwards to the end is a dream sequence no hate it hate it. You don't believe it, it could be? Because it could be. No. It could be a dream sequence. Like it he... could be. It could be. But if it is, it's bullshit, and I hate it. <laughs> well, that that answers that fan theory. Thanks, thanks, Reddit users. It it can't be a dream sequence. It can't be. No. Like because also it would rob the movie of any like narrative heft. If like exactly, that's how it ends. Like yeah, it would literally make it bullshit, and it would make me hate yeah. it. Because so, then we'd never you know, know if, if 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 he actually finally wrote the play or if like the studio liked it. So you know. So yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Oh, I can see why, because it's a bit ludicrous. Like, how the fuck he survives that bur- building burning down for so long, you know what I mean? The fact he doesn't die well, from smoke. Well, this is like- the thing. Is is the burning building, or is that just, like, symbolism for, you know, something else? Because uh, John Goodman just walks fucking back into his room like he's just going to stay there for the night, you know yeah. what I mean? Who and- must have died, right? That's, that's, like, how they got him, like... Well, I don't know if it's literally burning. This is the thing. Maybe. Like, is it is it just a... Because no one seems to... Everyone references the heat, but no one acts like the building was on is no. on fire. No one's like coughing and stop dropping and rolling. You know what I mean? Like, oh, and I don't know if, if if a building was on fire, like to that extent, yes. you would not be able to fucking stand without like passing out. Exactly. From, like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And you see, such a crepid building as well. Like, it shouldn't. It wouldn't last that long if there was a fire. It makes sense that it's highly flammable. Like that makes sense. Like I mean, we the, never like find out what that paper. liquid is between the wallpaper, you know? That oh, that's it. Like, oh, weird man, pus. that's disgusting, dude. Jesus, like, so that gross. was so gross. Oh. The, scene where, the scene where, like, he can hear the couple next door having sex and then he, like, has got all the fucking, like, jizz on his hands from, like, Jesus. the fucking wallpapers. I was like, oh, oh That's the most no. repugnant thing I've seen in a movie in ages. Oh, and, like, and bless, he gets, like, the pins from Steve Duchemi. He's like, oh, this should help, and it just makes it worse. Like, oh. Steve Buscemi's great in this movie. He's so he's good. He's in it for like five seconds, but the best thing he does is that he says his name is Chet with an exclamation mark. Yeah. <laughs> Chet! <laughs> it's so stupid. I love it. He's like, always like, like, are you like, are you trans or res? And, 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 and Dr. Tura is like, what? <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's always good, Steve. Oh, I love it. Good him. old Steve. The final fan theory I found, Brenton, was that um the whole movie is that is actually the play that John Turturro wrote. So the at the start. So the, no, 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 yeah. So the whole film, we're in the play. And we see the end of the play at the very start of the movie. And then like he bows and that kind of stuff. And then the movie onwards is actually the very start of the play. And we just see the play play out. What was, on, in terms of what was happening at the start with the play, do you remember what was happening, like what the set was on the stage? It was like, it was like a, it was like a generic, like living room kind of 1940s play. Like, like Streetcar Named, right. like Streetcar Named Desire or like a Cat and Hot and Roof kind of set, you know? Okay, okay. Hey, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, exactly. So, like, so, because also what, what adds, you know, credence to this theory is that um, some of the, the first lines of the film are repeated at the end as, as the lines in Button's screenplay. And also the mother in the play is named Lil, which is the name of Button's own mother. So those things I mentioned before um, is in the play. Also, Barton refers to his home as six flights up in the play, which is also the same floor that Button fingers on. He's on the sixth floor. Yeah, so it could work, Brenton. It could work. It could work. It, that's that's an interesting one. Yeah. Somehow, would you like to see this movie as a play? Would you like to see the play of Barton Fink? I think. I think. It, I, look, I think it's an interesting idea, and I think the screenplay is really good. But I think this works as a film. At, at the same time, like I think, I think, and I think, like there's a plays out there that kind of explores explore this idea as well. Mm. Like uh, the Star Spangled Girl comes to mind. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that. Um, that's a play that I think. Kind of explores like you know writers. <laughs> Brenton passes over a coffee well. to me right now. Oh, thanks, dude. <laughs> How convenient um, you brought it with you. Hey, man. Hey, man. I'm here to serve. What can I say? Oh, hey, thank you. do you mind if I just kiss your feet? <laughs> <laughs> and while we're at it, at it, shall we look at what stills this movie? <laughs> It's blinding. So in case you guys have never listened to this show before, what stills this movie is that segment on the show where Nathan and myself choose a frame from the film. One still image that we think is either funny 
that has got something poignant in it, maybe, mm. or something that's just a nice thing to look at. Maybe something that sums up the movie for us. <laughs> is this frame uh, any of those things, Brenton? <laughs> Uh, perhaps not, but you can find this still if you want to look at it uh, on our Instagram page, on our YouTube. Yeah, the links are all below uh, in the, the episode links are notes. Below. Hey. hey, we got it. Uh, hey. It's like we've been doing this for 91 episodes. <laughs> Please help. And the still and the still we picked this week is is John Goodman when he rocks up into Barton Fing's apartment. I think it's when he first meets him or something like that. And like, I think it's the first scene, yeah. Yeah, and like John Goodman's like trying to, you know, make small talk, trying to get to know Barton. And he does this by like holding up this like, what the fuck is it? It's like a, it's like a, it looks like a, like a cup placemat or something. Like, isn't, isn't that his tie? Oh yeah, it's his tie! So Jesus, like it's those, I didn't even it's notice that. one of those that. ties that like has the, 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 um, the tie itself is like a normal tie. Mm. But if you flip the bottom of it up, uh, there's another pattern that's on the inside of the tie. And on this one, it's a naked woman that's kind of squatting, and she's got like a like a toga on that's like a lion's like a like a, yeah. like a cheetah's head or something. Yeah. And and John Goodman's pulling the funniest face. <laughs> I don't know what that expression is. It looks as though he's coming as he's showing the tie. It's like he's going tee hee hee. It's like it's like a oh. little boy who's just seen like uh, uh found a porn magazine or something, and he's got a little cutout, and he's just showing his friends at school, and he's like. I mean, like, <laughs> this this brings back a segment of the show where we just talk about clothes from movies we want to own. Brenton, would you want to own this tie? Nathan, I wouldn't be want to seen wearing this tie ever. Like, <laughs> but imagine, you imagine you're at a party, if- like you're in a really formal ball, and like everyone's got like ties and suits, and then you just walk up to someone and you flash them that tie underneath. Yeah, you're officially that creep at the party then. Jeez. You know what I mean? Like, I would do it just for the reactions. I don't endorse this tie, but I kind of endorse just seeing what would happen if I had this tie. And you got to pull that face as well when you do it. It's so weird, but I love it. Oh, I love John Goodman. He's always good, man. He's excellent. He's a a great actor. He's so good. Well, hey. Hey. Let's look at this film's poster. Brenton. Yes. Let's look at this film's poster. But is it art? Brenton, what do you think about this poster we got going on here? I really like this poster. I think it's great. I think, like, obviously, the film is called Barton Fink. It has the titular character, uh... It's got that mosquito on his like. <laughs> What's I, he I, looking I just, at as well? He's like, it's, it's a close up of John Turturro just pulling the most like 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 shocked expression as like a mosquito yeah. is about to land on his head. And and the mosquito's got a huge shadow that's that is splaying across his forehead. I think it's great. I think it's really good for the film. Same. I like the color of it. I love how it's sepia. Um, yep. I love the font of the title. I love it's got the two Johns and the. Uh, they missed a. They missed a. Uh, they missed. They missed an opportunity though, Brenton, where they could have said John in big writing and have like Turturro and Goodman on either side. True, true. They could have done that. But also I love the fly on the face. It reminds me a lot of the Silence of the Lambs poster with the butterfly in the mouth. Oh yeah, sure. I think there's a lot of parallels there. I like the mosquito bite, Benton. I love that I love that scene where John Turturro's in the meeting. And <laughs> you see the big mosquito bite on his forehead. And the boss is like, What oh. happened to you? And also over the film he just gets more and more bites. <laughs> I know, I know. Do you it's a uh, metaphor for Hollywood, there is no, There's no mosquitoes in LA. What the hell are you on about? <laughs> it's very metaphorical, isn't it? Ah, it's uh, not metaphorical. No, I wouldn't improve it at all. I wouldn't improve the poster one bit. I think it's perfect. Ah, yeah. I think it's great. Title talk. <laughs> Ooh, it's the title. Was there Barton Fink and Barton Fink? <laughs> I think there was, Brenton. I think. Also, great name. Just a great name for a character, Barton Fink. I love it as oh. well because they all have like the New York accents. They're like, hey, it's Fink. Hey, uh, watch out, buddy. It's a Fink. <laughs> Well, when I hear the name, like the the shortened version of Bart, I think Bartholomew. You know what I mean? I think that oh, yeah. name. But Barton, I think, is such a great name. Mm. Also Barton with that accent, like Barton, Barton, you know, the, the yeah. way they say it. It's got such a ring to it. Oh, it's great. Uh, <sighs> great title, actually. Like Excellent. Yeah. Singular, like... Again, uh, name a movie after your protagonist. It's that easy. <laughs> so easy. So easy. What's another, what's another film that's got a protagonist in it that isn't named after the protagonist that you could name the film? So, like, not Harry Potter, like, one where they haven't done it? Yeah, so something like Star Wars, but you'd call it Luke Skywalker. Oh, jeez, you know I mean? like, that would not work. That, no, that doesn't work, but that's just an example. What's a film that could work? Um, Monsters, Inc., but just name it Jake. Oh, no, okay, rename Avatar, but call it Jake Sully. <laughs> that's that's what they no, should have called Avatar. No. no. Uh, maybe instead of calling it Batman, they should call it Bruce Wayne, just for once, just to, like... Oh, jeez. If it's, like, a Joker origin film, it's, like, Wayne... Like they call it that instead, you know what I mean? Like, ugh. oh, that'd be that'd actually be shit. Ugh, damn, yeah, it's it's a hard one to think of, isn't it? Ch- chime in, listeners. Let us know what you think the movie should be. Hmm. Yeah, listeners, if you can name a <laughs> wait film, a minute, we have an audience who can do the work for us. <laughs> yeah, if if I I think this could be really fun. Yeah, if you can think of a film that has a title that is not the 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 main character's name, 
but you think could work as the title. The main character's name could work as the title. Yeah. Send them through to our Twitter. Send them through to our Instagram page. Comment on YouTube. Send us an email. Let us know. <laughs> Do all of the above. <laughs> Let us know what, what you think. And then we'll, we'll get all the good ideas. We'll be like, oh, this is why the listeners are better than us. <laughs> yeah. And in that way, we'll also be passing the power to the people. Pass it here. What? The power to the people. All right, Brendan, Rotten Tomatoes. People loving this movie galore because the critics give it 90% and audiences 89. So, yeah, that's great. Well I'd, done, I'd say Barton. that's where it sits. It's so well good. Done. It's so well good. Well done, Cohen Brothers. But sadly, Jonathan Rosenbaum from the Chicago Reader, he didn't like it, Brenton. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. And he wrote, this creepy satire is full of laughs and flaky twists, but by the end, you may still be scratching your head. Because a mosquito bit you on the head. <laughs> like the DVD comes with a mosquito inside it. Like you open up the yeah. box and then one no, just like man, flies just out. It's loose and you're like, fuck. Jesus. Damn it, Cohen's! You've done it again. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. I think there might be some people who would find this movie confusing, but I don't think it is as confusing as some other films. Like, like, like I think it's more straightforward than Birdman. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. That's what I mean. It's not as like esoteric as like The Lighthouse or no. Birdman. You know what Even I mean? Even Shape like, of this- Water. This is less wanky. You know what I mean? Or like. <laughs> Oh, I don't think I've mentioned this your on the favorite, podcast your as well. Favorite film, your favorite film, The Shape of Water. I, I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast. I might have mentioned one of our early episodes, but I fucking hate Shape of Water. And the more I think about it, the more I hate The Shape of Water. What do you hate about it? It's funny as well, because you and I saw this together. We, we fucking went to the cinema. And I was, I, we were both very excited. We were like, we new, were. Uh, a new film from Guillermo del Toro. We are getting massive like Pan's Labyrinth vibes. Oh. Uh, we were so excited. And yeah. the more the film went on, the angrier I got. And I'm like, I don't want to, like, it's not the fish sex. I can, I can, I'll forgive the fish sex. It's just, it's just all of it. It's just, it's so mundanely plotted. The characters are so two dimensional. It has no storyline besides save the fucking fish. And it's like, it's trying to be like this old nostalgic kind of thing and they're like next to a cinema and that the old man's like, oh, back in the days. But like, ah, and it, you know why I hate it? But also because it lost, it beat out in the Oscars, Lady Bird and Three Billboards. Nathan, look, I don't hate it as much as you. In fact, I wouldn't even say I hate it. Uh, I didn't mind it, but I- What a waste of Michael Shannon. Oh. Oh, I thought Michael Shannon was great. I thought he was really good in it. Yeah, yeah, but he didn't, he didn't get his neck snap, Brenton. I just think, I just think uh, it wasn't, it was nowhere near the best picture that year, and it no. and it just had some. Uh, it was nicely shot. I like the sets. Oh. Yeah, the production design was amazing. Just nothing happens. It's just bloody what's her name. It's like it's like just deaf girl making like weird love eyes at the fish for like half the movie, and then she ends up being a fish at the end. Like oh yeah, she grows those gills. Oh, Gene Siskel didn't though. He didn't grow any g- gills from the oh, Chicago wish. Tribune. <laughs> He says, it's at its best when young Barton Fink simply stares at a picture of a bathing beauty contemplating the ocean. A Hollywood dream. 3.5 out of 4. Mm. I feel like this is a film I feel like critics would love. You know what I mean? And like, you, you, I feel like on the internet after this, I'm going to read long, you know, editorials about, you know, all of that. And I, I'm genuinely looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of critiques in this film and a lot of, um... A lot of uh, people writing essays and shit about this movie. Oh, Jesus, the fucking video essay market on YouTube would be jumping. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Jumping hoops over this. If that gets you going, it'll be there. Uh, It'll be there. Dusty R gave it five stars and wrote, the best movie about a writer at work you will ever find. Probably. I do like Adaption with Nicolas Cage. That's quite good. I haven't seen it. Oh, mate. It's one of the most Nicolas Cage performances you'll see. It's great. Damn that it's, got me going. It's Nick Cage excited. going full Nick Cage. It's excellent. Films about writers. I'm sure people are screaming titles at us right now, but like, there's a handful of them. But again, in the moment, it's hard to think of them. It is. Uh, isn't it? But this is definitely up there. Like, yeah. If, tell you yeah. what, if there's not an immediate movie besides adaptation screaming at me, it probably means that Barton's doing a good job. If I can't think of others. Totally. Yeah. Agree. SD gives it two stars and says, "Cohen writers block. Cohen brothers." Let's write the most inane, senseless movie ever, and I bet people will rave about it. Inane, senseless. I wouldn't call it either of no. those things, personally. No, I don't think this is them. This reminds me of like that Stan Lee story where, like, you know, the Marvel comics were selling so well back in the sixties, and so him and Jack Kirby were like had a bet saying, "Let's make a, a, a stupid comic book just to prove that we can sell anything." And so they wrote one called like the Howling Commandos, which is like, have you seen the first Captain America? Yeah, yeah, it's like his team back in World War Two, and they wrote right. that because they thought it was the stupidest title, and then the and then ironically the comic book did end up outselling it. It's amazing that. Th- that kind of stuff that you hear, isn't it? That like people are just like, yeah, yeah, we'll do this on a dare, and end up being excellent. <laughs> but I don't think the Coens were doing that. 
I don't think this doesn't feel like an afterthought, you know. I think I think they're writing. Uh, th- this film probably came from a, a more personal place. To be honest, I think. I yeah. Think, you know. Even though they, I've read interviews with them where they say this is really not autobiographical. Like we have. No, I don't think it's autobiographical like at all. I don't think it's that. I think it may be at a point they're they're just sharing their experiences with like a creative block, maybe or. Yeah. They just went wrestling one day and they thought we had to write this movie. Because obviously I don't think it's their experience in Hollywood. No. No, because they said as well, like, they found Hollywood quite easy when they went through, so... Jim X says, John Goodman running down a corridor with flames running alongside him. One of the greatest cinematic images ever. It's pretty good. It is quite it looks, excellent. I was debating that for the still as well, like... Yeah, that was that was a great moment, it's so especially good. because it's so well set up as well. Because like throughout the film, we get so many uh, shots of that corridor. Yeah, you know I mean? and, it's, and it's a great set. It's like, a, oh, it, it, so and all the shoes outside the front doors being shined. Oh, it's like, great. Like, oh, it's just great. It's so great good. Really good. Have yeah. you seen? Um, oh, you haven't seen Ten Cloverfield Lane, have you? No, I haven't. Oh. I haven't. Because um, spoiler alert for that movie. Um, John Goodman goes a little bit cuckoo in that movie. Ooh. And he charges after um the the protagonist at one point, and I was getting a lot of those kind of vibes when I saw John Goodman. So I think oh, it really? echoes throughout cool. his career, which is so weird yeah. because he plays characters like this, fucking lunatics, but he also plays like like Sully from Monsters Inc. and like Pacha from yeah. Emperors. Like he, he totally. he's on both ends of the spectrum. That's it. Uh, I love John Goodman. And I think oh. he's absolutely fantastic. I w- I hope he gets an Academy Award one day. I think he deserves it. Yeah, I do too. I do too. It'd be interesting to see what role, uh, what kind of role it would be for, though. Mm. You know. Also, criminally, no one was like, like he didn't get nominated. Like Barton didn't get nominated. No, uh, the the boss, the did. studio, the yeah. studio head did. Yeah. Rightfully, as and well. I think he, I think he's fantastic as well. He's in so, it, so good, and like also like, like it's in the delivery. I think that performance is made. Like it's well writ, but like I think. You know, I yeah, think totally. the acting does the job. Like I said, that character's all that Coen Brothers bullshit, man. That's, oh. It's all, it's got it all going out it's the so walls. Good. I love it. And lastly, from Mike DeLoretto, he wrote on YouTube, God, I just love John Goodman popping his head in and saying, howdy, neighbor. Mate, if John Goodman popped his head into my place every day, I'd be a better person. You I'd know be a I mean? better person too. You just, you feel like you've just grown. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, howdy, neighbor. Oh. And speaking of grown, we just watched Barton Fink. We did. And that was our thoughts on it. Oh, that's what we think about it. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, uh-huh. uh, guys, thank you so much for listening in again to Classic Movie Banter. We love thank you guys you. as always. Oh, thanks for and, joining uh, we us. Wanna, oh, and, what a but meal. We want to keep this conversation going and we want to know what you think about uh, Barton Fink and, and about any other films in general that you would like to talk about. And if you want to keep that conversation going, pop over to our Instagram page, Ooh. pop over to our YouTube, yeah. you know, subscribe to us on the podcast app. All you of know, that. We're, we're everywhere these days. We're so on Spotify. Oh, Gosh, Nathan, it's it's a good time to be a classic movie banter fan. Isn't and it? like I said, we can't wait to interact with you guys. Uh, if you guys could also send give us a review on the podcast app, that would be amazing. That helps us oh, out so much. Kiss. It really does. It does. Chef's kiss. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we love you guys and we and we can't wait to see you next week for another film. Yeah, another film. I'm I'm very excited for next week's episode, Brenton. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Are you excited to keep wrestling? Oh, no, Brenton. <laughs> this whole time you've held me down on the floor for over an hour. But now <laughs> I'll finally be able to beat you. <laughs> well, there goes my legs. <laughs> <laughs>